will be very familiar to you. I'm going to move this over a wee bit. I feel like I'm kind of tucked in the corner. Move this over just a wee bit. Um, both texts, I think, will be very familiar to you. They're texts that are often read uh, during Advent. The first text comes from Isaiah chapter 9, and it's verses 6 and 7. In fact, I'm going to start reading at verse 2. Let's pray first. Gracious Lord, we do have so much to thank you for. We thank you for this book and for the way that you've spoken to your people through these words throughout the generations. May we hear your word and may we be utterly transformed. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Isaiah chapter 9 beginning at verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the, the rod of his oppressor, you've broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in the battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And then from the Gospel according to St. Luke, in chapter 1, we begin reading at verse 26. You might get a clue here that we're working our way through Luke's Gospel. We read one passage last week, the birth of John the Baptist foretold. We're moving into the birth of Jesus foretold. I'm going to give you a little sneak preview. Uh, over the next few months, this is a sign of things to come. We're going to be working our way through Luke's Gospel and looking more and more into the story of Jesus so that I hope over this year, over the next few months, we can discover more of who Christ is. So today, Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favoured one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, 
and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How shall this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Luke is a master storyteller. I've mentioned this before. There's no accidents in the story the way that Luke tells it. Every detail is vital. Every single detail is of great importance. How the story is told, the way the story is told, makes all the difference in the world. It's the right story at the right time. I remember when Angus was small, he's 12 years old now, but when he was small, we picked up a book somewhere, I think it was a free book that we got from the library. It was called um, The Monkey and the Crocodile. And it's a silly little story. There's no purpose to that story, but that was the story that Angus loved. And whenever he wanted to read a book, that was the book that he would get, and we would read it over and over and over again. We read the story so much that I could almost tell the story without reading the words. We read the story so much that any point to the story drifted away into the background. We read the story so much that it became overly familiar. And we missed the point of the story entirely because we read it so much. I want to suggest that the stories that we read from the beginning of Luke's gospel are stories that we've read over and over and over. They're stories that in many ways we've made our own. We've embraced them and we've retold them in such a way that we've become overly familiar with them and we we no longer really have a sense of where these stories are coming from or what those stories are all about we've lost this we only really read them around this time of year and some of us are in our our teens and we've read them teen number of times some of us are in our 20s 30s 40s 50s 60s 70s 80s? 90? Got any 90s in here? Anyone in their 90s? No? 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 Some of us have read them into the 80 times. We've heard those stories so much that we've, we've become so familiar. We've lost the import of them. And it's my hope that this Advent season, as we're hearing these stories read 
yet again. We can almost put ourselves back into the mindset of hearing these stories afresh. I know that's hard. I know it's almost impossible. But to hear these stories afresh, almost as if we've never heard them before. One of the things I want us to consider as we, as we think about this particular story, maybe, maybe trying to hear it again, if you like, for the very first time, is the number of names that are mentioned again and again throughout this, this story. Last week, we encountered Abijah, uh, Zechariah, and Elizabeth. In this story, we encounter Mary and Gabriel again, and Joseph but we also encounter Jesus. This is the first mention in Luke's gospel of the name Jesus. It's our first encounter with him. First encounters are always important. First impressions, they say, last. They're very important. So with this first encounter, with this first impression of Jesus, what do we discover about this particular name of this particular person? Well, first of all, one of the things to, to notice is as these stories are being told, one of the things that Luke is doing is he's taking us back into the far, far distant past back into the Old Testament, into the foundational stories of the people of Israel. Last week, we thought about how, how Zechariah and Elizabeth were stand-ins, if you like, for Abraham and Sarah. An elderly couple without any children, without any hope of having children. God promises them that they will have a child. Isn't that exactly the story of Abraham? And Sarah, they have a child. The child is one who will bring laughter and will bring joy and will cause much rejoicing. So the name Isaac means that was Abraham and Sarah's son. Isaac means laughter. John, their son, is one who will bring much rejoicing. And the name John is a gift, God's gift. So Luke has already taken us back into the past, back into the Old Testament history. And believe it or not, Luke is doing the same thing here. When he says to Mary, when the angel says to Mary, you will have a son and you will call him Jesus, he's taking us back into the history of the people of God. How is that? Well, we are familiar with the name Jesus. Jesus is the Greek version of a Hebrew name. Does anyone have a sense of what the name might be? Joshua, says someone who was in the Bible study. On the <laughs> Give her a pat in the head. <laughs> Jesus is the same name as Joshua. And the name Joshua has a meaning. The name Joshua means, the Lord is my salvation. The Lord is my salvation. 
Well, let's think for a few minutes about this character, Joshua. Who was this Joshua from the Old Testament? And how does looking at this character, Joshua, help us to understand what the name means? You see, as Christians, we often talk about salvation. We talk about being saved. It's language that's been used historically in the church again and again. But what exactly does that mean? And what does that mean for Luke as he's telling us this story? Salvation is of the Lord. The Lord is my salvation. What does it mean to be saved? What are we saved from? And what are we saved into? Well, Joshua gives us a clue. The name gives us a big clue. Joshua was, he and his family were the, 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 the only people of his generation who escaped Egypt that were able to enter into the promised land. Joshua was one of the, the spies who went into the land and saw uh, the, the prosperity that was there. Joshua and Caleb were the two spies who saw the plan that God had for God's people. The other ten spies in that story, they saw giants in the land. They saw no hope. They saw no promise. But Joshua saw the promise of God. Joshua wasn't the one who brought the people out of Egypt. That was Moses that did that. Joshua was the one who wandered with the people and took over the leadership from Moses. Joshua was the one, not who brought them out of captivity, but who brought them out of that place of lostness, that place of wandering, that place of no direction. He brought them from there, over the Jordan River, and into the promised land. Joshua was the one who ultimately fulfilled God's promise of a land for the people. He brought them there. So how does that help us? How does that help us if we understand a wee bit about who Joshua is, to understand who Jesus is and what Luke is telling us about who Jesus is? Well, first of all, if Joshua was the one who led the people from this place of lostness, from this place of wandering, this place of darkness, surely that helps us to see what it is that we are saved out of. We're saved from our own wanderings. We're saved from our own confusion our own mindless and aimless roaming around, trying to constantly find the right place, the right answer, and not succeeding again and again and again. Joshua, Jesus, brings us out of that place of lostness. The, the Bible has a name for that. And it's not a word that we often use today. We're just not comfortable with it so much. But the Bible calls it sin. Sin is what stands in the way of our relationship with God. 
Sin is what stands in the way of our relationship with one another. Sin is our lostness. It's our brokenness. It's our place of wandering, of trying to find our own answers. And Joshua, Jesus, is the one who not only gives us an answer, but who himself is the answer. He brings us from our place of wandering into the place of God's deliverance, into the place of God's freedom, into the land of promise. All that God has in store for us, not just this promise of eternal life when we die, but this promise of life here and life now. Jesus said in John's Gospel, I have come that you might have life and have it in all its fullness. Life in Christ is a life of freedom. It's a life, as we've already talked about and as we talk about week after week, it's a life knowing forgiveness. It's a life of being forgiven for all our sin, for all our brokenness. And in that forgiveness, we're brought back into a relationship with God and we're brought back into a relationship with one another. There's a wonderful story that I discovered just earlier this week. It's a story of a woman called Corrie Ten Boom. Some of you may be familiar with her. She wrote a number of books. One of her most famous books was called The Hiding Place. She was a, a Dutch Christian who during the war hid Jews from the Nazis. She was caught and arrested, as was her, her father and her sister. And they were taken to concentration camps. Her father died, and her sister Betsy, who went with her to uh, Ravensbrück, died also in that concentration camp. But amazingly, Corrie survived. And after the war, she went round talking about forgiveness. That's all that she spoke about. Forgiveness in Jesus Christ. She tells a story how one time in 1947 she was at a church in Munich. When she finished her talk, this man came up to her and she recognised him as one of the guards in Ravensbrück. He didn't recognise her, but she certainly recognised him. And she could remember all of his cruelty. He came up to her and said, thank you for your message. Thank you for such a wonderful, powerful message about forgiveness. I became a Christian in the last couple of years. And I know that God has forgiven me. Please, I want to know that you have forgiven me as well. He stuck out his hand and he said, shake my hand, please, please, as a sign that you have forgiven me. Corrie Ten Boom said that as the man had his hand stuck out, all she could think of was the memories of her dying sister, of this man's 
cruelty that all that she and so many others had suffered at the same hand that was now outstretched. She wrote, I stood there and I couldn't. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death <coughs> simply for the asking? It couldn't have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I'd ever had to do. I stood there with a coldness clutching at my heart. <clears throat> Forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You, please, supply the feeling. She goes on, and so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I said, with all my heart. For a long moment we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I've never known God's love as intensely as I did then. Scripture speaks so very, very clearly about our relationship with God. God has always loved us. God has never ceased to love us. And yet, it talks about our enmity towards God. It talks about us being God's enemies. It talks about our relationship with God being broken. And what God does is he doesn't simply stretch out his hand. In Christ, he stretches out both his hands and he says, I love you. I forgive you. With hands outstretched, this is the beginning of an embrace. And Christ reaches down and embraces us all, calling for us simply to respond and enter into that loving embrace. There's another link with the story of Joshua. At the very end of this passage, I said this to the children. Mary said, may it be to me according to your word. The very beginning of the book of Joshua. There's a challenge that Joshua lays out for the people of God. He says to them, choose you this day whom you will serve. 
As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Mary's response, may it be to me, just as you have said. Friends, that challenge comes to each and every one of us. Choose you this day whom you will serve. His arms are outstretched. Will you enter into his embrace? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.